Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Quick public service announcement here, and it's for your ear holes. Uh, great interview with the great Eric Edelstein today, and unfortunately, midway through the Zoom call, my good microphone went down, which is always great, so I switched to my backup microphone. My backup microphone was dialed up way too hot, and uh, so you'll notice the very beginning when Rob and I intro towards the end of the podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm over-modulated, as they say. Uh, in other words, it sounds like I'm screaming at you. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, you got to deal with it for a little bit. But uh, I promise it's not for the vast majority of the pod. And don't turn it off because Eric is, Eric is just an absolute gem. And he's going to grace your ear holes now. USA! USA! Shot clock turned off. Calvary. Hall. Eight to shoot. Hall. The runner! It's time for Zag Hoop Talk with Jack and Zag on the Bowie Podcast Network. Oh, wow. Here's Jack Ferris. They found mold in my apartment. And Rob Zachary. All I was thinking about is, like, how do you know which things to use to wipe? Second Jack, he's Rob Zachary. I'm Jack Ferris. Wow. Unbelievable show today unbelievable show it was great Uh, it it was just dude i'm loving how this show is going (laughs) eric we got ghost hunters we got comedians and actors where are we heading towards this show eric edelstein unbelievable guest uh if you don't know that name google it and you'll immediately be like oh my god that guy i've seen him in a million different things i feel like that is him like he's that guy. Like, that guy. I've seen him, like you said, I've seen him everywhere. Mm-hmm. Diehard Zag fan. Uh, he was very gracious with his time. Put up with uh, a microphone failure on my part midway through the show. But uh, just, an, uh, he's a big dude, 6'4", 260. He's got a bigger personality, and it's all positive energy. Amen. I think that's the that best way to put it. Uh, it's, it's contagious. Yeah, he's got a great story of uh, how he came to be uh, where he's at, and he shares it with us. How are you doing, dude? Dude, life is great. I just got back from Montana this weekend. Uh, I love that place, man. I feel like there's no law there. Dude, (laughs) people always talk about the times like not too long ago, 20 years ago, when there was no law in Montana. Like there literally was no speed limit in Montana. Right, right. Well, I think it's still there. We just have to find the certain parts of you got to get out of like Bozeman or Butte or like the bigger cities. You pretty much have to get you. You pretty much have to get off Interstate 90, like 10 minutes, and then you're in a lawless land. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we shot guns. We rode four wheelers. We did all the all the works, and it was uh, it was just an all around great trip. And I came back and back to work we go. And it started raining in this beautiful town of Spokane. It's I think we're in fall, dude. The leaves are cheering it. And it's, it's incredible. Fall is here in a big way. You know what that means, Rob? Zag basketball. Well, football is back. We're very oh. close to Zag basketball, too. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Can, does it get bigger than 100%, Rob? Uh, 110. 110. 110. Unfortunately, that they're not offering that. Just 100. You're going to have to do. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. NFL100. Bet online. Your online sports book experts. Yeah, dude. It actually rained here in San Francisco yesterday, which is good. It needs to rain on the like, West Coast even more. I feel like it rains in San Francisco every day with hippie tears. But what do I know? <laughs> anyway. Um, 
Yeah, dude. What was I? I had, dude, I had a dream about you last night. Um, I don't know how to respond to that, Jack. I had a dream that we were trying to record something, but like the Wi-Fi wasn't working and we were like up against the gun. That's my nightmare every time we record. Like it gets dropped off. I'll be honest with you. I just pressed pause. We just finished real time. This is behind the curtain a little bit. We just finished recording with Eric. We went an hour and I pressed pause record. Usually I end it and start a new record. So I'm hoping to God I didn't just delete the record. Um, I don't think I did. We'll find out, won't we? We will find out. That would Honestly, when we do this (laughs) show, that's my biggest fear. I'm like, just (laughs) let's not have any technical difficulties. (laughs) Yeah. I'll, deal, I'll deal with wardrobe malfunctions over technical difficulties anytime. Rob is uh, Superman. He's joining us now. Not only is he a father of three, he owns his own business. He's joining us now from his car, from a job site. How much actual yeah. manual labor are you doing today, Rob? Um, not so much. I'm in the piece of equipment. I got one of my guys running it while I'm doing this, playing Good. patty cake with you. Good. Good, good. I appreciate the patty cake. Should we hand it over to to Mr. Eric? Yes, sir. From the corner. All right, Eric Edelstein, aka Big Ed, aka uh, a Hollywood legend. <laughs> right? <laughs> he just starts laughing. I mean, Eric, it, it's funny because anyone who has gone to Gonzaga, has heard the name Eric Edelstein, a guy who really made it uh, in Hollywood. Uh, You can be modest all you want, but Rob, if you look at this guy's IMDb, just TV shows alone, uh, who else can say they've been in Workaholics, New Girl, Modern Family, Arrested Development, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Shameless, Emmy. That's just (laughs) on the TV side of things. Not to mention like Parks and Rec. Um, Welcome. Eric, I can't uh, it's so good fun. to be here, friends. I just love it. It's an honor to be here, man. Oh, man. Thank you so much for being on this. Jack, I got to ask him a question real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the shows you've been a part of, and I know we're just, we're about to dive in right away. What was your favorite cast to be a part of? Oh, man. That's... That's a challenge because surprisingly, I found more often than not, people down here are awesome. But I think in terms of the cast, the most fun I had was New Girl because that that's my best buddy, Jake. And he's like, what am I, you know, when my Gonzaga friends and him all hang out, they all get along because they're real similar. But anytime you get to work with your friends, that's the most fun ever. And then also when I did Jurassic World. The second, that was my second gig That's I got to right. do. you were. Oh, yeah, I, I got eaten, man. Oh, my But, God. like, you know, you want to talk cool. I did four episodes of Parks and Recreation with Chris Pratt. Now, this was gut Chris Pratt before he got abs and before he turned into an action hero. This was but, Jack Ferris Chris Pratt. Amen. And then getting to work with him on, on Jurassic World was so fun because I'm like, well... Let's see how he is. I mean, I, he's from a small town in Washington. He loves Gonzaga. I'm like, he's probably got movie star stuff going on. I had one day, I was like, what are you doing, buddy? He's like, no, come over, come over. And I was just like, it, it just, it's, it was so cool to see he was still the same guy. And then also I felt a lot more comfortable dying on screen when it's somebody I'd done a bunch of work with before. And But I, I just always pinch myself down here because what I've realized is if you keep working down here, these like star types, nine times out of 10, they're so cool because they just don't want to have you back otherwise. Right. And when you think about that person, that like that person doesn't work much anymore. I wonder what, a lot of times they're a jerk. So they're allowed to be a jerk on their first show for a hundred episodes or whatever, just because they have to endure it. But it gets harder for them to get hired because people just don't want to be around it. And people don't want to be somebody that's not cool to the crew or is late. So more often than not, people are really are really awesome. And then I love because now everybody knows Gonzaga and they always kind of can't believe because they'll want to talk about training or they went to Yale drama or NYU. And I'm like, man, I went to the Martin Center. I announced basketball. <laughs> That's the best improvisational training you can do on the planet. <laughs> you it's just, like, hold on, what? And they're, then they're confused. Like, hold on, how are you the play-by-play announcer for Gonzaga? Like the student, I'm like, they didn't have a TV deal. 
it it was me and it was it got to be pressure and it was amazing but it, it's a funny funny educational experience for for learning how to act i do want to get into that origin story but first did did you ever watch a gonzaga game with chris pratt and i i guess at that time it would have been anna ferris right i no, i went out to i went out to a couple dinners with them and she went to university of washington oh she went to UW. she went to university of washington drama school which is like one of those intense drama schools and I was just like, Gonzaga, we won the rivalry. Let's go. <laughs> let, her, let him know. That's it. You have to, Rob. You have to. And then I was just so damn proud when you were down here playing for the Lakers and after Roni, where I'm like, man, we got this Gonzaga-Laker pipeline going on now. And I'm like, Los Angeles, Spokane, represent. Amen. That was like Amen. five, six years ago. And at that time, it felt like that was as good as, as it was going to get for Gonzaga, right? I mean, crazy. Yeah, I would I would have taken it because I mean, <laughs> we, we had only Stockton when I first got up there. And it's amazing to see where it is now. But that was also a big part of the beginning because you just saw there was a certain kind of Gonzaga player. And, you know, NBA coaches loved having him. Uh, born in Maryland. Yeah, I was born on a, a Navy base there. And then I lived in Alameda. In Memphis, and then my dad moved to Vancouver, Washington, worked for Hewlett Packard when I was four. Okay, oh, yeah. so you're you're were you a military brat up until just, four? Just, just till I was four, okay. yes. And then my dad got out and worked worked wanted more stability and wanted to work for Hewlett Packard. My dad was like a naval aviator and navigator and flew through the Bermuda Triangle for years. And sometimes oh, I'm, like, I'm so, kind of lucky to be here. So w- were you as goofy? around your dad as you are around everyone else or like how oh, yeah that dynamic? that's the key if you make them laugh and even if my dad would be trying to get me in trouble for doing something but if you can make them laugh the trouble doesn't come right, so i learned right. that there's a delicate balance with teachers with principals uh, which i crossed the line many a time but if you can keep them laughing and mm. kind of keep it just at the level where they can't quite get you in trouble and then I remember that that was Chris Farley was huge for me because I watched him on Saturday Night Live and I watched Matt Foley and I would do something to get in trouble and I would start doing it. And my dad could not keep from laughing. And I would go <laughs> to school and I would do like Matt Foley or Harry Carey or Bill Walton. And the teachers would be trying to get me in trouble, but they were laughing. And then it was like light bulbs. The Zag brain opens up and you're like, OK, this might be a path out, friend. <laughs> yes. So you wanted to pursue acting, clearly. Why a small Jesuit school? Well, amazingly, I acted as a kid. And it got, it blew up where I was acting professionally. So I would go to what was then called the Portland Civic Auditorium. And I was out of school. And it's like a 3,000 seat theater. And I would do these plays and they bus kids in. But it was weird because I was out of school for like, you know, a couple months at a time. And then I got offered more professional stuff. And I'm like, I I don't want to do this. I'd rather just play sports and be an idiot. And my parents, thank God, just said, fine, stop. And I remember I had a gig to do like a Japanese language TV show teaching English. And it was real. It was real money. And bless my parents' heart. And for people listening at home, because they'll always call and ask about, hey, my kid wants to wants to act, and we're thinking about moving to LA, and we just wanted to pick your brain. I'm the wrong person to call, because I've worked with too many child actors. And I'm always like, okay, you want to move down to LA and put their, leave, leave Spokane or Vancouver, Washington at 16. I'm like, yeah, but you know, they want to do it. It's their choice. Like, okay, just so you know, so we're clear. Here's what I want to do when I was 16. My big goal was to go to McDonald's, go to the baseball card store, and go to Burger King. Because I'm 16 and I don't know better. And I can barely deal with the rejection in Hollywood at 44. So I would say go live a life at least till you're 18 or 22 maybe and then move down here. So luckily my parents did not have me act. And then I really wanted to be a sportscaster. So I went to Sportscaster Camps of America in Irvine with former professional athletes and overweight children. And (laughs) you would announce these games and I had my little tapes, and then I started sending them out uh, to Washington State and other places, and I started touring campuses. But I went to Gonzaga, and there was, like, no wait, and you could be hands-on. And I had a chance to audition for the play-by-play job my first year with this great guy, Father Don Heiberger. And I was like, I want to I go here. And we some of the tapes are out there. I mean, like, interviewing Burt Blylevin or Malik Seeley as an overweight 14-year-old. They're pretty, they're pretty amazing. Wait, 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 wait. 
Malik Seeley. Malik Seeley. Malik Seeley. I'll, the late grade, friend. I'll find it. It's me interviewing Malik Seeley about his Thai company. And midway through the interview, I think he realized I was unaffiliated and a child. But I sent these tapes to Gonzaga, and they're like, yeah, you can come here and audition for, for being the play-by-play announcer. And then also, really crucially, I went to high school with Matt Santangelo and another buddy, Chris Richard. And so I just wanted to go uh, from community college somewhere where I knew people. And then I went there and Matt immediately gave me this entire social circle. I was just like an extra roommate day two. And, you know, it's that Gonzaga experience where I always say it's like basketball Disneyland. Because like my third day at Gonzaga, there's a knock on the door and it's John Stockton looking for my roommates to, to play some ball. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And then to just be there at the ground floor and watch it blow up. I always say it's kind of corny, but I think you need a mechanism in your head to see that dreams can come true. And that this stuff can happen. And I sure did not have that in my head before. But watching all my roommates go from what Gonzaga was in 98 in just two years, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is just how life is. Amazing things happen and dreams come true. And it's the great zag in the sky. So that definitely propelled me to move down here and actually think that this this could work out. Now, before we get to your journey in Hollywood itself, let, let's keep it in Spokane. First of all, you Please mentioned... Parents of 16-year-olds reaching out to you from Spokane. Oh, yeah. Making the journey to L.A. Yeah. Oh, he wants to do it. He want, She wants to do it. I, well, okay. you know, your brain's not developed. Of course they want to do it. Don't let them. Do you know Sydney Sweeney? Have you crossed paths with Sydney Sweeney? I know that name for sure. Yeah. There's also a country singer named Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney has uh, was just on White Lotus. Um, she was in Victoria. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Is she from Spokane? From Spokane. Moved down there when she was 16. Now no. she's like 21, 22, booking all these HBO shows. Yeah. I loved her in White Lotus. Are you mm-hmm. kidding? Yeah, yeah. Spokane. Okay, so she, she shows how I'm wrong. Moved down to 16. <laughs> well, well, there's but a... But she's the one in right. 100,000. Mm-hmm. And like, that's... Or the, honestly, the one in a million. But she... I had no clue she was from Spokane. She's so good on White Lotus. Yeah, and she's yeah, no, like she's fabulous. An actor, like I, I read an interview with Mike White of like the podcast he had her listen to, which was hilarious to get that kind of okay vocal fry, like whatever, Jack. <laughs> okay, Rob, and I was like, oh, she's a. Am- I was in awe of her. I had no clue she's from Spokane. There you go. Yeah, she's got to be. I thought her right? parents did not reach out to me because I would have been like, <laughs> no, I have her do community theater and have her do Blue Door Improv in Spokane when she's twenty two, twenty three. No, don't listen to me. Wait to move down if you look like this. And, and, and well, you went to school to be an announcer. Eric, here's my thing, and I'm pretty sure you can relate. Like, with the young kids going down and acting, it reminds me of when... Um, no, I'm, it reminds me of when, like, kids are pushed to play sports. Yeah. It, and then exactly. they get burnt out early. They, they get burnt out, and you also just need a, a solid foundation. Now, if you're Kobe or LeBron, you can come from, from high school, no problem. No problem. But for me, if I moved down at 16, it would have canceled Christmas. It, I would have been a zoo because I didn't have the foundation. Someone like Sydney Sweeney, she's like a LeBron or a Kobe. Like, it's just so off the charts talent-wise that there's no doubt. But for a lot of people, and for me, I needed so much more of a foundation before moving down here. And to be honest, I thought I'd move down here at 23 and probably be Chris Farley. Thank God that didn't happen. It's been a slow burn. And there's a saying, character actors don't start working until they're 40. So Because you kind of have to build these life skills, and then that shows up on camera. But yeah, it's exactly that. You want more of a foundation, unless you're just a transcendental talent like LeBron James or Sydney Sweeney from Spokane, because, you know, you just every everything you use and you learn is kind of a weapon in your arsenal. And also it, the main thing I say for parents moving down here for the parents of a 16 year old that aren't Sydney Sweeney, it is an insane level of rejection to this day that for most people, it's crazy. I mean, I get I go on auditions. I probably get maybe five percent of them. What? And it's like, you, oh, wait, you sure. you now with your resume. <clears throat> oh, dude. Well, get yeah, 5%. there's a hell of a lot of people with bigger, better resumes than me, or also there's getting typecast. Yeah. So I did this movie called Green Room. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, where, you know, I, I play this horrifying 
neo-nazi uh, yeah neo-nazi bouncer and then my trick for stuff like that I didn't, I didn't oh your mind will be blown rob it's one of my many great cinematic deaths dude i, oh, I, man, I wanted to I save this. this i wanted to oh, save rob this your mind it's a terrifying movie too it's, it's a it's a great movie it's the best really? movie i've i've been a part of and it also is the one that like proved i could act but after that I had directors that were trying to get me hired for comedy, and they're like, we're really getting pushback because all they know you from is Green Room. Green room. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So then that becomes a new obstacle you have to prove yourself with. So it's constantly doing stuff like that. So it's e that's easier to do as a 40-year-old than a 16-year-old because once doors started getting slammed in my face, where they're like, well, they just see you as a dramatic actor and they're scared. I'm like, I'm I'm from comedy. I'm from improv, and they're like, and and you overinflate that people have seen Parks and Rec or Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like, if they just see you as a neo-Nazi bouncer going like this the first time, so then it just becomes redefining that. And I'll do a bunch of weird shorts, and I say yes to all kinds of stuff to break out of that mold. So you know, I did this wonderful comedy called Family that's kind of under the radar. But the director told me she's like, yeah, you're the hardest one to to get approved right now because they just think you're the neo-Nazi from Green Room. If you haven't Neo seen Nazi. Green Room, do yourself. Oh yeah, so that's why I say like you do all these auditions, and my wife lives and dies with it more than me because she's like, "Did you hear about that one? You were so good." I'm like, "Babe, it's already out of my head." So the best way I approach it is like a closer in baseball, and you can't get too high. If you come in and strike out three, awesome. Mm -hmm. If you come in and give out a home run, that sucks. But I'm gonna be eating nachos in 45 minutes and forgetting about it. You, uh, so that's where it's like kind of I, I'm kind of wonderfully simple in some ways, and you just really have to forget. But I'm also corny, and I'm like, I'll go out for auditions that I know I'm probably not gonna get, or they have offered to three or four guys more famous than I am. But it's a chance for me to go in there and make a fan. And if it's not this project, it's the next one, and it's kind of that Gonzaga way of like. Man, I moved down here not knowing anyone, and I feel like I'm playing with house money, and I can't believe it all worked out. And I'm grateful where it's, you know, so much of it is mindset, and I still like auditioning. I still, it gets me out of the house. I don't have to do chores my wife wants me to do, and I got to act that day, and I can get better. And so often, especially because I'm a little, if you just look at me, I look like a big goober, and but I have some words I can say. So sometimes they'll look at me like, all right, you're not right for this idiot, but you might be right for that idiot. And it, it helps. So it's just all about, I, I'm, I'm just a big fan of saying yes to about everything. Let's jump to 1999. Your, your buddies go off to play rope ball, specifically Sant'Angelo. Uh, do you immediately make the decision to go down to Hollywood? Well, here's what's amazing is my... I was fully prepared and excited to keep staying in Gonzaga and broadcasting. But sometimes you got to read the, the, the tea leaves and listen to what the, the take what the defense gives you. So when I was there, there was no TV deal. And so if people wanted to tune in to watch Gonzaga games, they had to watch GU TV and watch me. And, and when, and before my first year, there, the only people watching were people too drunk to get to the game mm -hmm. from the dorms. And my great aunt Lillian's nursing home on the South Hill, where they were very proud there was an Edelstein announcing games. And then once Gonzaga started winning and the games sold out, we had to ratchet it up. And I was doing the stupidest comedy bits at halftime, fake interviews. And then Mike Rothbard, he's like, okay, we don't have a TV deal. People are tuning in. Maybe ease up on the nicknames you're calling your roommates and like try to really take this seriously because right now you, you are it. And then they brought in. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, OK, OK. And then they brought in um, in 2000 a professional TV crew to mock broadcast a game with the actual trucks to see how feasible and how they would do it. Because, you know, the writing's on the wall. They're about to get a big TV deal and how it happened. So they're like, we want you to do play-by-play, and then please pick the best of any of the GUTV students to be the color, color commentator, and seriously, get the best one. Well, by far the best and most talented one was a redshirt basketball player who was also a broadcasting major by the name of Dan Dickow. So I brought in Dan to be the color announcer, and then we did the game, and it was all good. And I should say back then... Uh, I was a late bloomer. My voice was a little higher than it was now. 
So I went in there. I come in after the broadcast, come into the broadcast truck after we'll give you notes and talk afterwards. So I just kind of quietly came to the broadcast truck and I was sitting on the stairs and I'm like waiting for these people to say I'm the next Chris Berman or Marv Albert. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and they don't know I'm in there and I'm listening. And they're like, they're like pretty good. I'm like, and they're like, that one announcer is really good. I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, he's really got a grasp of the game and everything else. And then like, well, what about the play-by-play guy? And they're like, uh, we should check in with him after his voice drops and uh, start getting to smoke cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, it's and seriously. So they were talking about how good Dan was and kind of saying I didn't I, – I was was not Chris Berman or Marv Albert. And it was seriously – sometimes a level of honesty like that is the best thing in yeah. the world, even though they didn't know I was there. Because then I was like, okay, you just heard firsthand maybe uh, broadcasting isn't completely in the cards for you right now. And I started making machinations to move down here. Cut to a couple months later – uh, it was in the West Coast Conference tournament, I believe, Mike Nielsen tears his Achilles tendon. And Mike is the most positive, amazing person in the world. Rob can vouch for this. Yeah. And we were sitting in the locker room with him with while his Achilles was torn, waiting to get taken out. And he's in there making us feel better. And I'm like, well, hey, Mike, you know what? You, you at least get to play more guitar now. I'm like, we should do a show. I'll do like comedy impressions of the Croc Hunter and you, you do your guitar. <laughs> he, looked at, he looked at me he real funny. He's like, oh, yeah, he's a brilliant guitar player. You won't believe how great Mike Nielsen is. Still plays. He's like a musical genius. Acoustic but he doesn't want to perform. Acoustic or electric? Oh, acoustic. But if he plugs in, he can play some Pearl Jam like you won't believe. Mike is br- one of those guys that's brilliant. But I know he doesn't want to perform guitar live. But then he looks at me and he's like, yeah, let's do one show. I'm like, okay, we'll do a show. They card him out with his Achilles tendon. We do a show <laughs> at the Cog. The only reason he said yes to doing a show was he wanted a creative way to propose to his wife. So two-thirds through our supposed-to-be one and only show, he proposes to Rhiannon. Every girl is crying. Every guy looks like they want to kick Mike's ass. And <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Man. And he didn't tell me because everyone knows not to tell me anything too important. And I'm like, okay, well, that's amazing. I'm supposed to go out and close that now, but that was an incredible one-time show. Well, then somebody there from GU saw us and was like, you guys are crazy, but we want you to open for Dr. Drew. Dr. Drew is coming to Gonzaga. So we opened for Dr. Drew. We wrote a little sketch for him that he did. And then afterward, I'm like, Mike, let's go get a picture with him. Because Dr. Drew, that's a huge celebrity coming to Gonzaga. We go up to him and then I'm like, can we get a picture? He's like, yeah. And then as I start to walk away, he's like, hey, come here. He's like, what's your story? And I'm like, oh, I'm a, I, I'm a Gonzaga broadcaster here, and I'm trying to do it professionally, but apparently my voice is high. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just start talking. He's like, I've been debating for a couple hours whether to talk to you because this, it's the hardest life ever. But he's like, but I really think you have something as a comedian or an actor. And I'm, I, I didn't know if I should say anything to you because I see through Adam Carolla how hard that life is, but I really think you got something if you want to. It- this is when Dr. Drew is like top of the world too, him and Adam Carolla. And it yeah. was seriously like getting canonized and yeah. being given marching orders. So soon after that, I just started planning on moving down to Spokane, moving to Los Angeles. So I came down here. I was a video logger for Temptation Island 2. I worked at Starbucks. I faked my way through being a bouncer for two years. And that's what led me to being able to play all these bad guys and stuff. Because I was just terrified. Because I'm a big man that cannot back up my size. I grew late. My voice didn't change till I was 24 or whatever. So I, I faked my way through that. And it seriously was all because of Dr. Drew. And then I got another one of those amazing moments. I did game shows. So I did the game show circuit for a couple of years until I was on too many game shows. But I did one that was hosted by John McEnroe. And I won the least amount of money of anyone that day. But then afterward, they came to all the contestants like, hey, John would like to talk to you. And then I'm like, me? I'm like, yeah. And then the other kid is like, are we, do we get to talk to him? Like, he just want to talk to him. So I walk back. There's like, it's legendary. He like, I walk in there and say, like, hey, big guy. And he <laughs> signs a tennis ball and throws it at me. And then he gives me a Heineken. He's like, what's your story? You don't work at Starbucks. And I'm like, I swear I work at Starbucks. I'm going to be at the Highland and Franklin Starbucks tomorrow morning if you want to come in. He's like, you're funny. He's like, you're an actor. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, stick with it. You got that thing. And I'm like, ah! 
So it was like Dr. Drew and John McEnroe both told me that, and that just kind of gave me those marching orders. I got the affirmations for acting I did not get when I was doing play-by-play for Gonzaga. You got uh, the affirmation. I remember, I remember Coach Few gave at the senior banquet. was real sweet and talked about me, and he's like, I think he's got a heck of a future as, as an entertainer. And I'm running like, yeah, there's another one that did not say the next Marv Albert or Chris Berman or Bob Costas. So you got to be a zag and take what the defense gives you. So that kind of propelled me down here. <laughs> so no, you wait. Go ahead. Uh, uh, what was Temptation Island again? Oh, my God. It was the worst of the worst reality shows. Disagree. Hard disagree. <laughs> I, I, I Hard disagree. Told Jack. I mean, it was amazing. It was like. Literally, they bring in all these couples and they tempt them on this island trying to break them up. It, it was crazy. Up. I'm Did, sorry. That's so messed up. Wasn't it something where their significant other could watch on like closed circuit television too? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would have to log all this footage. And amazingly and gratefully, I got that gig through Gonzaga. Somebody, the incredible Gonzaga alumni department, somebody knew somebody through my buddy Scott Sayer that worked for Temptation Island. So I moved down here on a Friday and had a job on a Monday. Hell yeah. Because of Gonzaga. Yeah. You get the acting confirmation from a sex therapist and a tennis player. player. And if your brain is this this small, that gives you enough to go. So then the whole time I was at Starbucks and faking my way through bouncing, I just started doing Second City down here. And doing classes, because that's the other thing I tell if a 16-year-old wants to know, I'm like, just getting good classes. And I had a great first few acting classes at Gonzaga and at the Blue Door Theater in Spokane. And that gave me a foundation. And then I started doing Second City. And then that was where I've met two kind of magical groups of friends in my life. My friends at Gonzaga that I always say my, my parents started out raising me and these guys did the finishing work. And because it's Gonzaga, it was the basketball players getting me up for class. No joke. They were all just achieving and would get me up. And then I moved down here and just through such luck, I made these friends at Second City that I was telling telling Jack before the show, if you look at my resume, a third of my stuff is friends hiring me. But that was where I met Derek Waters, Jake Johnson, Simon Helberg, my buddy Ben Hoffman. And they were just these incredible human beings and not really what I expected moving to L.A. I had kind of the typical California stereotype. And then I came down here and I met for the second time, the most incredible group of friends. And they gave me wings. They gave me confidence. And then thank God for the last 20 years, they've given me employment. Uh, Jake Johnson, for those of you who don't know immediately, you know who Jake Johnson is. He has a universal 100% approval rating from like every demographic. Wouldn't you say, Eric? He's, I mean, yeah, Jake, Jake- and it just makes me so proud because when I met him, uh, he was, we, we were, we were both living he moved in with my buddy Brian Farrell. He had moved out from New York after a tough breakup with a girlfriend. And we were living in a former one-hour motel in Hollywood called the Las Palmas Estates. But we met and hit it off and started writing a two-person show the day we met. So we put up our own show and then we shot our own thing with this brilliant guy, Jeremy Connor, just on our own called This Is My Friend. And you can watch it on Vimeo and we're babies. And if you want to see baby Jake Johns with a mustache... And then I came back to Spokane for some Gonzaga basketball thing. And we just had shot this thing and entered it. And Jake's like, dude, get back to LA. And he's like, everybody loves this thing we shot. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, every manager, agent, NBC and FX are talking about buying it. I'm like, what? And I was working as a bouncer and he was working as a, at a casino. So I came back, we sold this thing to NBC and then got agents and managers, and that was our foot in the door, and it, it changed our life forever. And every kind of cool gig I've gotten has come from those agents and managers. So that's why I always tell people, like, shoot your own thing, make your own fortune. And then it's just been so fun for me to watch, because just like my Gonzaga friends, like, you see Richie Fromm or Rob are unchanged after playing in the NBA. And that's how Jake is, where he's he's the exact same guy now. And, like, last week... I was rushing to get an audition because he was annoying his showrunner and creator of this new show he's on to get me into audition. When I finally got on New Girl, the creator came up to me and she's like, oh my God, thank God you're finally here. Jake has been bothering us for years because Jake's that kind of guy. And when he got on New Girl, he dropped off 10 headshots of the cast and he's like, these are my friends, but they can also act. Please just bring them into audition. That's all I want. And like, 
it's the opposite of what you think moving to Los Angeles, where I've found friends that are so loyal and fight for me. And I don't know. I just always pinch myself. This all worked out because it could have gone a very different way. Yeah, you could have been that that actor and uh, that's serving you at a restaurant and they're just telling you, hey, this is just my part time job. I'm really an actor. And Oh, that's the that's the go to at every restaurant everywhere. And then what I love about this town is because I'm an optimist. I'm like, man, there's something like Mark Ruffalo was bartending into like his mid 30s. And there's dudes, a guy that got nominated for an Academy Award last year This in the drumming movie, Paul Fauci or Fauci. That dude had a day job in his late 60s. You hear about Morgan Freeman quitting his job as a temp in his mid-40s. So it all just kind of works out how it works out. If, if you stay in the game and if, if, if you're willing to keep getting better, it's kind of, kind of magical. But, work, oh, yeah. Work hard and be kind to people. I feel like that's, that's, good it. that's, that's the Gonzaga way. And if that's your baseline, especially in this town, because someone that's an assistant today or a PA could be hiring you in years. And I've already had it happen where I'm like, if you're just nice to everybody and not having to worry about just being nice to people that matter. Oh man, a whole world opens up for you. And I really do give all the credit to Gonzaga and for my friends up there, because, you know, I, I was a work in progress when I got there. And it really gave me the tools to come down here and do this. Uh, drunk history with Derek Waters. To me, it's, it's truly one of the more, it's a simple, brilliant idea that has worked for like 10 years now. Uh, That's you don't... what I love. <laughs> and, like, and, and he's one of those guys where I'm like, one out of every five or 10 of his ideas is like that, where they're so brilliant. And you're like, well, and I remember him calling me about it. And then they asked me to do it for the web series. I'm like, I'm not getting drunk on camera. And then at once it blew up and then they knew how to dangle it. And they're like, we think we're talking about Elvis. And we just went on like, I can't have anyone else drunk talking about Elvis. But it is the weirdest, most insane job ever. And what people always ask, are you really drunk? And it's like, yes. Call Beyond call, I was never quite that drunk at Jack and Dan's. And JC had to call me a couple times to like clean up puke the next morning. (laughs) So I'm not proud of that. But this is... The wives and the husbands are the heroes because my wife would put put to bed a 260-pound toddler. But you get completely hammered. There's somebody in the other room fact-checking you because every single thing on Drunk History is true. It's totally fact-checked. And then the next morning, you barely don't remember anything, and it's hazy, and you just think you were awful. And Derek says every single person reaches out the next morning and apologizes. But that's one of those things that it's just a gift because it was also the same time as Green Room where I was fighting this perception of playing all these bad guys. And then at the same time, Drunk History and the show We Bear Bears came out where I play a joyful version of myself. And that kind of helped to stop the uh, typecasting. But Drunk History is the weirdest, most fun gig there is. And, and it's fun when you're doing it. The next morning is difficult. That said, sounds like our podcast. <laughs> that means you're doing it right, Rob. So did you know, for example, you did the uh, – one of the ones you did was Winston Churchill visiting the Roosevelt's, right? Yes. Did you know that story or That's did you have to brush up on it? the one I got pitched because I pitched the Elvis. They want to do something with Elvis. They're like, we well, have to talk about him getting his badge. Mm-hmm. Then I'm an obsessed Chris Christopherson fan. I used to do Chris Christopherson on the Jay and Kevin show in Spokane. <laughs> and then I pitched that story. And then I pitched Rin Tin Tin. And that's the one my dogs came in on. But the Churchill and Roosevelt story was another amazing one. I didn't know. And Derek pitched it to me. He knew I love presidents. I've been obsessed with presidents since, since I was a kid. And what there's nothing more. Kidding, 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 kidding. <laughs> But there's, but I love that story because my whole thing now with politics is we need politicians to be getting drunk together again. Mm-hmm. Amen. Republican, Democrat. And when I hear now Republicans and Democrats are on Joe Manchin's houseboat drinking together, I'm like, yes, more of that. <laughs> yes. More of that. Let's get them. And the idea that Churchill and FDR were getting hammered planning out World War II. Like two, like two drunk college kids, that, that was exciting to get to tell that story because I do think alcohol brings people together. And there was, a, you know, they, um, without getting too much into it, a, a different group of people kind of came into Congress a few years ago that didn't drink as much. 
And so I think now you're getting them drinking again and hammering things out, which we desperately need. Alcohol brings people together. And also talking in person, because I used to love debating politics in person at Jack and Dan's. And I think that's what how we need to talk about politics. <laughs> move it from off, move it from offline, move it from online, get offline, get analog, get a pitcher of beer. Because when you're debating with somebody, you see their humanity, you learn. So I think there's something tied in. Let's get everybody in Congress drinking again. Let's go. That's what we need. Uh, you are in. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this one. You're in one of my all-time favorite shows and one of the all-time iconic episodes, The Black Swan. <laughs> curb your enthusiasm you had to have been at that point you had been you had been doing your thing for about 10 years but you had to be pinching yourself working with larry david truly jack that was my dream moving down here i think in the 70s people had moved down here wanting to be on the tonight show but for me i remember i watched the first episode of curb your enthusiasm with tony hazel in spokane who's now a judge which thank god right we know a judge but i watched that show and that was my only dream to be on there be on that show and when it happened and also people always ask how larry is i don't mean to give away his curmudgeonly reputation dude he was the coolest human being ever ever he was so kind and to get to go in there and improvise and i knew it was about baseball which obviously gonzaga baseball hat i love baseball and so i will reveal something here that's just funny that i've never said anywhere so I play a stonemason that, that does not like Jer- Derek Jeter, that thinks Derek Jeter's overrated. But the thing I kept saying on set that really kept pissing Larry off, and there's nothing true about this. I was just saying it in character to piss him off. I kept saying Jeter was on steroids. And it made it, it almost, and he's not, I just was saying it to piss Larry off, because when you're acting, you really want to do that. So I kept saying it, and he just, I could see him getting more and more pissed off, and I'm like, I have to keep doing it. So I'd be like, are you kidding me? You got Pettit? You got Clemens? What do you think? Jeter's back there whistling Dixie? No, he's <laughs> not juicing, man. You're like, he's not juicing. He's not on any of that. He's not all buff. He's not. And so it just kept saying shit to piss him off. But he could not have been more cool. And then the best was... This is just like, you just have to dream and visualize things. And I'm, I'm sure Rob can can back this up because, man, he went he, top of the mountain. And you have to visualize. I started getting crazy with visualizing. And I'm like, not only do I want to be on Curb, I want to be on there with Funkhauser. I want to be on there with Marty Funk, Super Dave Osborne. And sure enough, I was there. And they don't give you a script. There's a little thing outlined. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, I just say this? And I went, and I'm like, here's a childhood hero, Super Dave. And I'm like, hey, what do I do? He's like, Larry will tell you everything. And I'm like, no, but I literally don't know what to do. Like, I just have this little outline. He's like, I'm like, do I just go for it? And I was like, Larry will tell you everything. And then it got really close to shooting, and it was real clear Larry was not going to tell me anything. So it started, and I did it, and it's the thing that made it in where I just totally threatened him in a scary way. I'm like, I did Larry's mom's stone. I did Larry's dad's stone. I hope it get to yours soon, prick. And then they get done, and they just yell quiet. And then I'm like, I don't know if that was it or anything. And Larry just kind of walks away because they want to keep you confused, maybe. Right. And then Super Dave just looks at me, Bob Einstein, goes, that's how you're doing it? <laughs> and then he just started teasing me. He's like, you're going to get fired. He's like, that's how you're doing it? Oh, buddy, you're getting cut out. And, and then I did another take, and they don't really say anything. He's like, where are you from? And I'm like, Spokane. He's like, do you tell people you're on this? You're doing curb? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you shouldn't do that. You're getting fired. <laughs> he starts messing with me all day. And every time I saw him after that, and this is a comedy here, he'd come up and grab my gut and jiggle it. And anyone else, I went, he's like, oh, baby, you're so great. And then I went and you do ADR where you do your additional dialogue recording. And Larry probably sat with me for 45 minutes and just talked baseball. Really? Because yeah, because he, it is Kirby enthusiasm, and let's be honest, I'm an enthusiastic guy. And on set, we're having a fight, and I think he saw like after he's like, "This guy, there's no way for me to hide. It's my favorite show ever made, and it was my dream to be on there." And I think he kind of saw that, and I watched him like sit and deliberate, like I'm going to talk to this kid, and like that's more often than 99% of the time. The heroes I've worked with, whether it's him or David Lynch, or, or whoever else, and the cast of Parks and Rec was so nice. 
Like they were so kind. And like, that was the first job I, I, I did my first day on there. And Amy Poehler's like, we're bringing you back, Eric. I'm like, okay. And I gave a look at somebody that's heard that a hundred times. Yeah, and right. Do it. And they mean it in the moment. But then she she's like, we're bringing you back, Eric. And I'm like, okay. And then they brought me back. And it's just like, that's the norm down here is the, the people in those positions. If you're a jerk, they just don't want to deal with you. David Lynch is running on a clock. David Lynch, Twin Peaks, got to be a little bit of a weirdo, right? Dude, he's the coolest, and that's the thing. I was an awkward kid, and that was my favorite show, watching Twin Peaks when I was 12 on the couch with my mom. And then I got super into his movies, and you know he's from Spokane. I did not know that. <laughs> Dude, people don't know this because they know him from more Montana or whatever. But he lived his first four or five years, he was in Spokane. And he's up front that that's the thing that really informed his worldview. And Blue Velvet is Spokane. And I will say he didn't quite confirm it. But to me, Twin Peaks is Spokane. It feels like it. It's not It's not a suburb of Seattle. It's Spokane. And I met him. I do the um, old transcendental meditation, which is this TM thing that's like, you know, it's a whole thing where you, you, do, medit you do meditating. It's not spiritual. It's not religious. I'm, you know, still allowed to be Catholic. But you do this meditating, and I went through the program, and he's really, I went through the program with my buddy Michael Sarah, and we got done, and they're like, hey, David heard that there's actors that, that are learning this meditation. He'd like to have you out to his house. So I went to, like, his concrete mansion, and then just my total intro to him was like, hey, I'm from Spokane. There was four of us. I'm like, I'm from Spokane. He's like, are you kidding me? You're from Spokane? And he's like, oh. You know, I can still smell those Ponderosa pines and hear those Air Force planes from Fairchild flying overhead. That is fantastic. I love Spokane. And then magically, a couple years later, I got to audition for it. And this is what I always tell people. You have to double down and triple down on being yourself. So I was in this Twin Peaks waiting room audition deep in the valley. And there's no lines to memorize. They just interview you. Yeah. And I would hear people being wonderful weirdos in the waiting room, and then they would go in and start performing. And I'd be like, I know he doesn't want that, so just try to be yourself. But I was so nervous because it was my favorite show when I was 12, watching it on the couch with my mom. And you go in there, and there's just a legendary casting director, Joanna Ray, that's interviewing you. And she's like, so, do you know what you're auditioning for? And I went, Twin Peaks? And she's like, how do you feel about that? I'm like, oh, just trying to keep it casual. How am I doing? <laughs> And I blurted out this giggle. And thank God I did. And just oh, yeah. yourself, kids, because you can see it. It's actually on disc seven of Twin Peaks. There's a behind the scenes documentary. And you see him like thinking. And he goes, Could there be three detectives? And then thank God Sabrina Sutherland and Mark Frost just immediately go, Yeah. And he goes, Okay, I think I want to hire that big guy with that laugh. And then you see how David Lynch's brain works, where he's like, Okay. He, look, he doesn't look that brilliant, but he's actually an ace detective and this and that. And then I just, it's another one of those where I'm like, this is all a dream, but God, it's the greatest dream ever. Because then I'm on set and he's like, okay, detectives, get in here. You three are brothers. And then he just starts dropping on it. He's like, and then he would just give me little things to do. And he'd be like, okay, just blurt. I want you to blurt two little giggles and then suppress the third. And I go, <laughs> Okay, that's it. And then also, amazingly, I used to have a recurring nightmare of having to memorize lines quickly with a hero. And I would have a nightmare of David Lynch or Neil Young, and I couldn't memorize lines. And then one day, they're setting up the lights, which means you're 15 minutes out. He's like, okay, detective, come in here. We've got some, some monologue for you. And I'm like, this is my literal nightmare. Oh, no, this is where it ends. <laughs> this is it. And I think he immediately saw how nervous I was. And he's like, don't even worry about memorizing it. You can have the paper there. What I need you to know is your mom is lost and driving around and your brothers won't deal with her. You're the sweetie. So I need you to see your mom. And he's like, don't worry about the lines of paper. We can have it right there. You need to worry about your mom, detective. So I was like, oh, God, okay. And then I'm like, this is my nightmare. But then one of the guys playing my brother was an acting coach. And he's like, just say the lines, say the lines. And then the paper was there. And I barely need to look at it. Hilariously, when you watch the episode, you can see the paper right there. 
and it just looked like a cop had written something. And <laughs> oh, really? Seriously, he's such an amazing teacher and director. And all of us, when we talk like him, we sound like we're in a cult. Maybe we are. But he would just got me over this fear. And from now on, if I have something to memorize, I just think about that moment. And yeah, all this stuff, man, that's on my, I'm playing with house money. Because I got to somehow already work with all my heroes. And I can't believe it. Eric Edelstein, legend. Thank you so much for your time, brother. We appreciate Thanks, it. Buddy. We Bear Bears and Hoops on Netflix. Hoops. Excellent. And then you can watch this week on AMC uh, an episode of Creep Show called Pipe Screams. And I'll just say, friends, this is the first time ever I'm in a horror movie and perhaps I don't die. No spoilers. Oh. It only took 20 years down here. Let's be <laughs> honest. This body, this face is meant to die on camera, but we're doing the Zag approach, patience and basics, constantly adjusting, adding value. Maybe, just maybe, there's a bright new day dawning, friends. You're not the creep. Believe No, I'm as shocked as you are. And I fought like hell to get this thing because I'm like, what? Are you kidding? Really? So watch it. It's called Pipe Screams. It aired last night. It's on AMC. Creep Show Season 2. You'll love it. Excellent. And for the little ones out there, we have Baby Shark, and I'm Daddy Shark, and that's every morning on Nick Jr. You can't fight the song, friends. Just have a positive attitude because your kids want to see it. Baby Shark. From the corner! Dude, Green Room. If you haven't seen Green Room, it's so good. Thank you so much to Eric. The guy is humble. The guy has had an unbelievable successful career. And as, uh, as he mentioned, it's just getting started. He's just, he's 44. He's going to be on our screens for quite some time. And it's, he'll uh, be like Clint, Clint Eastwood. He'll be like, yeah, if he's like Clint, he's got another 50 years. Clint's 91. <laughs> that's insane. That uh, is insane. So Eric's unbelievable. That's all genuine. Uh, he was just as <laughs> excited to talk to us when we weren't recording before and after, uh, unbelievable dude. I, I'm in a better mood having talked to him. I don't know about you, yes. Rob. Yeah. I'm in a great mood, and I'm going to leave you with pretty much everything that Eric was talking about. I'm going to leave you with this quote. Your focus determines your reality. From the corner! And it's over! Gonzaga! The flipper still fits! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.